morning, Legacy Church. It's good to be with you again this morning. I've been looking forward to this opportunity to walk through the Bible with you again. We're going to be in Psalm 42 today. It's going to be a helpful passage for you today. It's been helping me all week. And while you're turning to Psalm 42, I just want to tell you how much of an honor it is for me to be one of your pastors in this season. I love what I get to do, even in a season like this. I'm really enjoying watching God change many of you in a time like this. We're growing as a people. We're growing in depth. We're being reshaped, and I'm not sad about that. I am sad about sickness and death and the fact that we don't get to see each other in the same room this morning. I'm sad about people losing their jobs, but I am excited about what God is doing in many of you and your families. And I just want to remind you of something. God is close to us in this time, when it's dark. In fact, the darker it gets, the the closer we find Him getting to us. God is close and He's thoughtful for you. He's kind to you. And I think we have to keep telling each other this. We have to traffic in those truths as often as possible because times are bleak right now. And it's likely to get a little bit bleaker and darker before the sun comes up. A few days ago, for instance, I heard our county mayor talk about his thoughts on the uptick in suicides that we have here in the Knox metro area. It's been a lot. In one 48-hour period last week, we had eight suicides. Eight suicides. Eight people in one 48-hour period that just decided enough is enough. I cannot do this anymore. I will not do this anymore. They had such a smothering sadness they were just going to escape this life. Due to the pandemic and due to the fact that we're all anchored in our own homes and can't see each other and due to the fact that the life that we thought we were going to have is being changed by the day, a lot of people are running out of hope and a lot of people are finding sadness. And I just think that's where I'm finding people today. Not just a, a, an off-the-shelf sadness, but a deep sadness, more of a penetrating sadness, a sadness that's kind of behind the sadness. In fact, our suicide prevention helpline listed some options for those of us who are feeling sad in this time, an unbearable sadness. Among those options were to stay hydrated, um, find a good healthy diet, meter or moderate your, your sense of media intake right now. I don't disagree with those things. I might actually add a couple to it. Get out in the sun, get you some sleep. I mean, there are other things that we can do. But unbearable sadness, it needs more than physical changes in our life. It's ultimately a spiritual issue. I mean, sure, there are things that we could do that could take us when we're sad and push us into a crippling depression, but it does start with a middle, a seed that is spiritual and how we see God and how we see ourselves. Now, here's the truth for you and me today as the church, as we walk through this with our city, dealing with sadness and dealing with depression, that is going to be a new part of our normal. Even if you're not depressive, even if you don't have a, depress a depression personally, you will need to be nimble and agile and competent at taking the gospel and applying it to people's sadness, deep sadness. It's something that's going to be in our future moving forward. And I think the most loving thing that we can do as a people is be gospel fluent as the gospel speaks to a downcast heart, to our sadness. I think 
One of the more loving things we could do for those who live in our house and those that we do life with and even our neighbors is also to let people know that there's nothing wrong with carrying what is sad and hurtful and depressing to the Lord. And we could have reality and what it really feels like is going on in one hand and we can have the gospel and what we know God is doing in the other and both can be held at the same time. I think this will be helpful for us when we interact with our city because this is a new part of our normal. There are a lot of recent figures talking about how many people are likely to die in the next several weeks. And if those figures are anywhere close to true, then you will likely witness a funeral before the next few months are over, or you will know someone who is witnessing a funeral. That's even if you can get to a funeral, because we're in the type of season where people are dying alone. Funerals don't happen like they used to. I know we use the word unprecedented a lot right now. It's in just about every other sentence, but it hasn't been since World War II that we've had a disruption on this level. And friends, listen, it hasn't been since the Great Depression since we've seen sadness at this level. But God weighs in. God has something to say to that kind of systemic sadness. And that's what we're going to find in Psalm 42. He speaks effectively to it. And this psalmist actually shows us a picture of Christ in the middle of it as well. And that's going to be important for us because Christ himself had to handle and interact with a sad heart. He's going to show us that we are free to be sad. You're free to be sad and trust in the Lord at the same time. You see, it's important for you and me to remind ourselves that the Bible assumes that we're going to feel depressed in this lifetime. It assumes it already. God doesn't expect you to pretend that it's not terrible or, or that it's not horrible. I mean, being dishonest isn't the answer. It's not the answer any more than medicating it is the answer. In fact, sadness and depression, if it does anything, it should prove to you and me that we are more than just thinking robots. We're more than automatons. But we've been handcrafted as deep feelers with vivid imaginations and layered emotions. And these emotions form us. They form how we see ourselves. They form how we see God. Even more than the intellect, I think. I mean, sure, our intellect cooperates with that. What we learn, it does show us who God is. It does inform how we see ourselves. But how we feel, how we feel does, does define and speak heavily to how we see God and how we see ourselves. So the big questions I want this passage to answer for you today is... How does Jesus lead us through sadness? And how can we stand and fight in the face of such a big sadness? How can we find joy? How can we find trust? Especially when everywhere we look doesn't, doesn't look joyful at all. It just looks sad, systemically sad. You know, I'm thinking about Psalm 42 because I'm not much of a karaoke guy. I'm not much of a sing-songy guy. I don't sing in the shower. I don't sing in the truck. I just don't sing a lot. So the book of Psalms is not necessarily my go-to book, a book full of poetry and lyrics. But I got to say, it is probably going to be one of the more helpful books you can have open before you during this season. It is a complete volume of all the full range of human emotions. It has honesty in it. God shows us through these various poet musicians how we can take our current experiences and just process them 
with him, how we can defragment them with him without whitewashing them all or pretending that stuff that hurts just doesn't hurt. So it's going to be helpful for us. And he's thoughtful to give us a book written like the book of Psalms for days just like this. Now, almost half of the Psalms that we have are laments. Okay? And we've been talking about this a little bit in the past. We've mentioned the practice, the spiritual discipline and rhythm of lamenting off and on in the last few weeks. But I want to look at one in particular that's going to help us reformat the sadness that we might be feeling today. And that's going to be in Psalm 42. So if you have it open, go ahead and look at it. This is going to be the word of the Lord for us. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. This particular lament, it's pregnant, it's full of longing. Longing, because God's presence isn't felt. Nothing seems to be going well. His tears are mocking him. His sleepless nights are mocking him. All of his troubles are telling him that God doesn't exist, that God is not present, and God does not care. So he finds depression in this moment. Now, it's important for you to see in this passage, it's been helpful for me that he has not lost belief in God. He's just lost the feel of God. Why have you forgotten me? He says. Listen, losing the felt presence of God, that is no small thing, friends. Listen, the entirety of Christianity is built on the back of God being present among mankind. God is close to those he loves. We see this all throughout the Bible. If you all go all the way back to the Old Testament, you see there, there is, there's a tabernacle in the middle of God's loved people. God's glory shows up. His presence is there. He replaces this tabernacle with a temple. God's glory shows up and fills it. His presence is there. Then along comes Christ, who is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple. God's glory dwells with man, walks with man, laughs with man, lives with man, dies for man, rises again for man. God shows up. His presence is with us. Even now, as Christ is at the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit is sent to his church. 
God's glory is with us. God is present. God is present. I mean, you should be getting the idea that if God is not close to us, we're ruined as a people. This is why you see often in the Bible, God speaking to people like Moses and Joshua saying that he will never leave or forsake them. This is what Christ tells his church in the book of Matthew, that he will be with us to the very end of the age and always forever. But you can lose the feel of him, can't you? That's possible. It can feel like he's nowhere, where our tears and our sleepless nights and our headaches and our heartburn tell us, where is your God? Where is he? It's not here. I find the big questions that this poet musician asking to be the same questions that we are asking of God today. God, why did you leave? And when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And to capture this mood as well as he can, he uses a powerful image of a thirsty and tired deer. Now, I don't know very much about deer. I know that deer are not camel, right? Camels are made and created to go a long time without any resourcing, without any water. A deer, not so much. They need frequent drinking. And so this tired and this fatigued, thirsty deer goes to a stream where there should be water and there is none. So a spiritual drought is what's in mind here. That's the intent for you and I to catch, a spiritual drought. Droughts are also something I don't know a lot about, but I know that they're terrible. They're terrible, especially when they are spiritual ones. We weren't really created to enjoy spiritual droughts. They were meant to unsteady us instead. Now, God will, in his brilliance and in his wisdom, administrate seasons of spiritual drought for you and me, for our good, for his glory. But even by doing that, we're not supposed to enjoy those droughts. They create a longing in us. They make us desperate. Um, they refine trust in us. They build character in us. They give us endurance. But even then, we're not really enjoying it. It's not something we have a blast with, right? And you know this because you've had seasons of likely spiritual drought where you know God is there in the background. You know he's even close, but you can't feel him anywhere. You can't feel him. Sure, that absence, that spiritual drought, it drives you to the Lord. And maybe even later on down the road, you'll be able to look back on this time and say, yeah, it built character, it built endurance in me. But it wasn't enjoyable, was it? Not enjoyable. So friends, listen, if you find yourself not sure where God is, and you don't feel his presence, if you don't know where he went, but you want to know when he's coming back, this psalm is for you. If you find yourself weary and sad and downcast and depressed, even suicidal, this is for you. You see, this whole book is your book. The whole Bible is your Bible, but some passages will always be especially precious to you in dark times like this. And this is the intent that we're supposed to grab in this passage, this particular passage. We're supposed to see a guy who's being very authentic and very real. I get the feeling I'm getting this unfiltered version of this guy. He's not stuffing anything down. He's not acting like he's not depressed. You've been around people that hurt and they're sad, but they act like they're not sad, right? They just kind of, they, they pack it down and put it in a can. Maybe you're even tempted to do this, right? Like saying with your mouth that you're sad makes it actually more sad or it makes it true or something. But listen, you need to know, God does not ask you to ignore what's depressive. 
He doesn't ask you to pretend that something is not crushing you. He is not asking you to, 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 to walk as if what is sad in your life is no longer sad. You can be authentic, you can be real in how you feel. We can be realistic about how grim things look and feel around us. Now, a downcast soul or depression is complicated and it's layered. So I'm going to shoot broadly. But I will have to say, I don't think there's any fruit at all in us denying that our broken biology and our broken chemistry don't contribute to the way we feel. We're, we're holistic creatures. We're holistically broken. I mean, it's a holistic problem for sure, physically, spiritually, emotionally, but the core to it is spiritual. So we have chemical imbalances and biological imbalances that come because of the fall. That's why your skin sags. It's why you need bifocals. It's why my ankles pop so loud in the morning. Physically, we have come apart as much as anything. So treating depression as something that is only spiritual ignores the totality of creation's collapse. And I think it also denies the reality of everything that God is going to reverse through Christ. Our poet did not feel God close anymore. That we know. He didn't know where he went. He didn't know when he was coming back. But the sleepless nights and the lack of food, that's just contributing to what he's feeling right now. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, and he's a heavyweight in the theological world, but before he was such a great author and great leader, he was a doctor, a medical doctor. That's why he has doctor in front of his name. And when he wrote his commentary on this particular psalm, he noted that these are symptoms of clinical depression. This person is not eating, this person is not sleeping, and it's got physical ramifications to it. And I've been here, and you've likely been here too. Not sleeping. Just take that alone. We'll take you from a place of sadness and push you into a crippling depression. Your diet, if you eat Pop-Tarts with, with cheap beer for a week straight, it's going to take a, a sad moment or a sad day, and it's just going to kneecap you and make it something very, very different. You put those two things together, it could be even worse. All to say, if you're deeply depressed over what you can't control around you, you need to know it's spiritually derived. It's born spiritually, but physically it can be made more horrible. It can be. For some of us, taking a nap, changing our diet, doing some push-ups, doing some, might be one of the more spiritual things we can do. By the way, this is why we brought Hannah Dooley in to speak and to cut a video on the value of staying fit during a quarantine. That might have seemed to, to some of you like an asterisk item, like it was maybe somewhat important, but not really important. Friends, it is really important. It's really important. Not just our physicality, our, our biology and our chemistry, but even our personality and our temperament might amplify how downcast we feel. I think it's important to go through that as well. Your personality. Now understand, it doesn't make any difference when it comes to salvation. We are all born again by the same good news. We're all changed by the same gospel. It doesn't matter what your Enneagram is or your Myers-Briggs or, or whatever you know, tool you use to, to, to give you a label. The gospel sweeps across all of it. But it does make a difference how we are wired and how we are designed when it comes to just the experience of Christian living. I mean, just the, the basic division is introvert-extrovert. 
a lot of us are introverts, right? So we have introverted tendencies. And now that we're on lockdown and we're stuck within the four walls of our home, we're kind of lost in our own echo chamber, right? We churn thoughts. We recluse. We over-contemplate. And we are alone with no sounding boards around us. So if you're in community as an introvert, you probably have voices that can balance what you think or maybe challenge what you think. And right now you might not have any of them. You're locked in your own head. And I think even extroverts are going to have uh, trouble with this during this season as well. They're going, to, they're going to suffer sadness because now they are tossed in an introvert's world. If you're an extrovert, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're having to live an introvert's life. And if you're an introvert living with an extrovert, they're driving you crazy, aren't they? They want to do puzzles every day. They just want to know how you're feeling every five minutes. Listen, it doesn't matter. Depression can come quickly to both. And when the only voices you hear are the ones in your own head, when you are locked tightly in your own echo chamber, you're listening to yourself more than you're speaking to yourself. And that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. This is just difficult because of our distancing protocols right now. Listen, broken bodies, broken moments, our personalities, broken souls, they can all be mixed together and have us feeling like deer running towards a stream where there should be water just to find none. And listen, no one's immune to this. I'm doing as big a job as possible of sweeping across every demographic. But, but consider that a downcast soul, it can visit those who are living in unrepentant sin just as quick as it can visit those of us who are living in a ferocious obedience to the Lord. I mean, I just want you to consider the heavy hand of, that weighs on our soul when we live in an active or unrepentant or pervasive sin. You can't enjoy Jesus and live in active sin at the same time. In fact, to rebel against God is to invite a spiritual depression, which is why a lot of people listening to me right now are spiritually depressed. Friend, it's not calculus. You're just living in sin. For a lot of people, this is it. But even then, that spiritual depression is a gift of kindness to you because it is meant to lead you to repentance. Just like a guardrail on a cliff's edge is meant to guide a car back into hell so it doesn't slam through and fly off the cliff. Just the rubbing of the car on the guardrail, it doesn't feel good at the time, but it is meant for love. It is meant for peace. Psalm 32 does a really good job of showing us this very thing in action. This is King David, and he says this in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So we see it in action right there. You could tell he's coming apart at the seams a little bit, but then he confesses, and he turns away from his sin, and something very different visits him. But listen, just to bring some balance to it, the exact opposite can be the case as well. Fierce obedience can also recruit Spiritual depression, it visits everybody. Men and women who we all look up to, who have diligently searched after God, have found spiritual depressions. Martin Luther, we have Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, 
John Piper, Johnny Tata, they all speak of seasons where getting out of bed required all of their strength, required everything that they had. This might be you this morning, by the way, reaching for God with both arms and not finding him, running to the stream and not finding any water, trying to get above the waterline and having waves wash over your head. You need to know that you're in good company. Not just with the Hall of Fame I just mentioned, but even with Christ himself as he experiences a dark night of the soul. Finding a, a drought instead of a stream, I find to be reserved for some of the most devout disciples that I could find anywhere. I realize how unpopular that theology is. I get that. But can we not just look at the cross and see that Jesus fulfills that? In fact, I think God can take even something like a downcast soul, a sadness, a penetrating depression, and employ it in such a way that we know Jesus better, that we share it with him. You see, when sadness intrudes, it won't just lift automatically. When it, we kind of carry it from day to day, you need to know that you are sharing something with Christ. You're sharing it with him. And that's not a small thing either. When we experience unique moments with others, there's a bond that is built. We laugh with people, we build a bond. We struggle through something side by side with people, we build a bond. When we're sad at the same time over the same thing, when we are suffering the same type of a downcast soul, we build a bond and we are sharing these moments with Christ. Listen, don't even bother praying, Jesus, I want to know you more. If you are not willing to share every moment with him, every moment. Deep intimacy means sharing everything, which means suffering a downcast heart connects you to Jesus just as much as anything else will connect you to Jesus. You see, this Psalm 42, it holds value for a church full of sad people, seeing sad things and sad days, because we're on a mission to a downcast city. Knoxville's downcast right now. And I'm resolved that the biggest difference between those who love Jesus and those who deny Jesus, it's not the, the level of pain in our depression, but it's the trust and the conviction that God is close and that he is thoughtfully kind, right? Even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't feel it. That's the internal wrestling match we see here between the poet-musician. He is feeling the nostalgia of who God is. He's trusting in the nostalgia of what he knows about God, what he knows to be true. But in the other hand, he also has what's really happening, what he really feels in that moment. He holds trust in one hand, and the reality of how he feels in the other. And they're both true at the same time form. This is what we're after, unfiltered emotion with the framework of a very strong and unbending conviction. Friends, listen, if you feel like God is wiping you out, tell him. Have a conversation with him. If you feel like you're underwater yet you're dying of thirst, let him know. Carry your visceral experiences to the Lord and lay them at his feet. That's not a sin. It's not even immature. In fact, it's the first step towards intimacy. We all need to be very good at it. I see, the goal in your journey with the Lord is not to fumigate all the bugs off of your emotions. It's to take your emotions and bring them and lay them bare before Him with trust that He is good and He is close. And then reality and the honesty of this is how I'm feeling. And this is what the poet is doing here. So if you're depressed and you're downcast, your fight is going to be holding authentic pain and honesty in one hand and the gospel in the other. That's going to be our fight. 
And I think it's here that we have some room to repent, right? And I know how that sounds. Repenting for being downcast. It sounds like I'm asking you to turn and repent from a gunshot wound or a virus or something you didn't even ask for. It just doesn't seem right. And I'm not saying that we need to repent for feeling God's felt absence and being sad, but we do need to repent and we have room to repent for trusting in despair. Now, despair is not sadness. They're two different things. They're not the same. It's a good time to take a scalpel out and draw a clean line and cut them apart from each other. Despair is the dry place of no hope. It is a refusal to fight for hope. It's a dismissal, a denial of hope. Despair says, God, you are not good. It's a declaration that God is not who he says he is. That's despair. Just to make it easy, um, sadness looks around and says, this world is broken. Despair says, God is broken. And those, friend, are not the same thing. And I know that's where I'm finding many of you today. Probably a little closer to despair than sadness. We read the news, we feel despair. We look at our bank account and we feel despair. We see our friends or don't see our friends and we feel despair. We mourn the loss of our hopes and our dreams and our future and we feel despair. We don't know how to answer these hard questions our kids are asking us right now and we feel despair. Despair. This is what Dan Allender says regarding despair, I find it to be helpful. He says, despair looks at the world and says, I have no hope. Things are not going to get better. Any indication that they might get better is an illusion. Therefore, I must not allow myself to hope again because I will only be bitterly disappointed. You see, losing hope and continuing in despair is the statement that God is, in fact, not God at all. It's trusting in what we feel over what we know. Now, here's the shocking good news about this psalm, and probably my favorite part about this psalm is the poet is not begging for God to fix the problems. You might have noticed this. The answer to his prayer is God coming close. That's the answer. Verse 2, when will I come and see the face of God? When will I come and see you again? And it's at this point that Jesus is brought into focus. It's here that we see how a poet musician is being used by God to paint a picture of Christ. You see, Jesus isn't in this psalm, and yet he's in the very middle of this psalm. Because our hero in Christ is the ultimate abandoned worshiper. Ultimately looking, but not finding. Wondering when he would see the face of his father again. Jesus experienced sadness of the soul to a cosmic level. This is why we find him in Mark 15 saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus' most excruciating suffering was not just physical. That's what we think because that's what we visually see all the time. But it was the felt absence of God that was most excruciating to him in that moment. Like a deer panting for water, Christ found none. God's life-giving presence had been removed for a moment. How long of a moment, we don't know. It had to feel like an eternity for him, because all he had ever known is an eternity of that presence. Why would he do this? Why would God do this? He experienced depressed sadness at its pinnacle 
so that you and I never would have to. Jesus found the summit of sadness, we can say, but he did so trusting that God was close and trusting that God was good and kind. And Jesus had to feel all of what you and I would deserve so that we would gain everything that he deserved. And because he did this, we'd never be left alone. We'd never be abandoned. God would bring his loving presence to us. Whether we feel it or not, he would always be close. Always. Listen, if you struggle with this part of the gospel story, I understand. I've lost friends over this part of the gospel story. We, but we should struggle with it. We should struggle with the father removing his felt presence from the son for a, a moment. We should, because you, like me, we suspect that that removal of his presence is unbearable. It's excruciating. It's debilitating. We should struggle. It is a part of God's design that we would be unnerved without that presence. But the good news that we have to continually say is that the God who would remove his presence is the same God who would also feel the pain of it being removed. You see, God would take his own wrath. He would take his own judgment. He would not just be the perfect judge and father, but the perfect sacrifice and son, both at the same time. This is what we see Isaiah saying in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friend, listen, you have felt sadness in degrees. Christ has felt it immeasurably, immeasurably, but he did not despair. You see, he had sadness in his heart, but he did not sin in that sadness. This is what the author of Hebrews says in the fourth chapter, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Christ has felt downcast, but he did not despair. He carried trust to the cross with him. Now, why does this theology matter for today? That's a big chunk of theology. Why does it matter for today? Because Jesus' downcast cry of sadness on the cross, it should inform and really reform all the sadness that we see around us today on this planet. His cry from the cross is actually a down payment on the hope that we have here. So how do we live in light of this? How do we live in light of this gospel? When our soul is downcast and we come to find water but find none, we are to encourage ourselves. Encourage ourselves. I know it sounds simple. We're going to encourage ourselves in what we know to be true. And that is the main stanza and dialogue of this song. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's not just listening to himself here. He's having a conversation with himself. He's reasoning with himself. He's speaking to himself. He's reminding. He's instructing. And this isn't just positive self-talk, where he is the adorable object of his own confidence. 
But this is a gospel application where God is the object of our confidence. So we get to see the poet dig in and fight in this moment. He's not surrendering to the emotions of discouragement. Now, some of us, we call this preaching the gospel to yourself or gospeling yourself or preaching to yourself. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. But it's important that we do it. When reading about how people are dying right now, when we're not likely to gather again like we used to for quite some time, when reading and learning about how this is affecting not just vague, faceless families and cities, but our families and our church and our city, I'm so very tempted to despair that I can barely move. But I have to apply the gospel to myself. I wrote it down, a prayer the other day. Where's your trust, Luke? Is it in how things look and feel? Hasn't God shown himself close and kind even when Jesus was in the grave? I'm telling myself, Luke, don't be downcast. Praise him. He holds the cosmos in his hands and he has mocked even death. You are safe. He has created a place at his table for you. You are loved. This day will pass and be replaced by many other days, each with their own wins and own losses. So sit with Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. He is coming. He is coming soon. I've practiced this more times than I can count. And I find myself doing it constantly these days. It's important for me to just be honest about this psalm. There is no real resolution to it. There's no big confidence celebration, no statement of joy at the end, but there is a heavy anticipation of all of this whenever God does show up. And sometimes that's the best we can hope for. Is the ending a happy one? It's mixed. It's like everything else in this life. This psalm ends with hope more than it does resolution. But again, I hope you've seen that hope is not a small thing. It's not a small thing. Just a real quick, hard application for you and me as we go forward and process this throughout the week. There's a little tool that I've been using. It's been very helpful for me, and it's actually not even a tool meant for this. I just find it to fit perfectly for this. And it's a quick phrase, just to remember. I'm going to say it a few times. I see, I feel, I know, I need. I see, I feel, I know, I need. What does this mean? I see. I see what's reality. I see what's happening. It's bleak. It's hard. I feel. Makes me feel scared, sad, left, abandoned, anxious, depressed, suicidal. Feel. This is what I know. God, you are present. You are close. You are thoughtful. You are kind. I need. I need you to remind me through the power of your Holy Spirit that all of this is true and that it's going to be okay. I need you close right now. I see, I feel, I know, I need. Listen, if you are depressed, God is here. He's close. He's good. He's thoughtful. And he's coming again to change the downcast. Until then, we admit with an authentic honesty that things are bad. And that we hold a hope and a trust in one hand. And we hold the bad news in the other, and we know that they could both be true at the same time. Now listen, 
If you have questions about this, questions about your salvation, um, we have a, a, a place on the website that you can click and talk to a pastor. It's this process with the pastor, and we'd be happy to do that. But listen, if you have questions, or maybe if you feel suicidal, it's important that you know you have a place to turn, right? Uh, I'd, I'd encourage you to reach out to friends and even call 911. But if your penetrating sadness is something that comes and it doesn't lift very often, in fact, you have it more than you don't, we have a couple blogs on our website where we speak directly to mental illness in a time like this and suicidal thoughts in a time like this. And we actually have a video at the end of each one where we have, um, uh, me and, Pat and Matt Norman have talked back and forth in an interview format on some very deep thoughts and some things for you to consider in that. It's actually on our front page as well. If this is something you struggle with, I'd encourage you to turn there. But friend, if you are alone and you just need someone to connect to, you would love to have a Zoom meeting or a phone call, but you don't have anyone to have that with. I would encourage you to go on our website as well, the front page, Are You Connected? Click on that button and we will get you connected. And then there's another button that says, Do You Have Needs? If I'm speaking to you and you hear me and you have needs, click on that button and we will do the best we can as a church to supply you. This time with you. Let me just pray. God, I thank you that you've been so kind to us in your gospel. Just the beautiful news, the real news of what you've done on a cross and out of a tomb speaks volumes to the sadness and the depression that we feel today. And pray, Lord, that as we see and as we feel the things that are going on around us, that we also know who you are, how close you are, and how sweet you are, and we express our need to you in that moment. Lord, we pray for this city, all the various heroes doing heroic things sacrificially in the city. We pray for them this week. I pray for those who hear this sermon and they don't know you, or that you would change their lives, that you would radically save them. I pray for the those who have suicidal thoughts in a sermon like this, that you would minister to them. Father, that you would draw them into community, that you would save them. Lord, I pray for those who are without community, that you would seat them in deep relationships. Lord, we ask for all these things when it's so unlikely that they would happen when we're all so far from each other. But your Holy Spirit is not intimidated. And, and you are not frustrated by this, Father. You are in control. You are close, and you are good. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.